You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. The word Antichrist may conjure up many thoughts and images in your mind, likely involving a supernatural monster or maybe a diabolical creature who is the archenemy of God. And many people would speak of Antichrist as a singular individual who appears at some time in the future, maybe near the end of the world, to be involved in what we could say is the final battle between the forces of good and evil. And we ask the question, is this picture of Antichrist found in the Bible. Well, that's our intention this evening, ladies and gentlemen, to find out what the Bible teaches and reveals about the identity of Antichrist. The Christadelphians are a group of Bible students, and from the outset, we would like to state that the Bible, which is God's word, how God has spoken to us and his message to mankind is going to be our authority on this subject matter this evening. And so we see from our title, The Bible. It is the Bible that will reveal to us this evening the identity of Antichrist. And so, of course, with that as a basis, of course, we will base our remarks this evening on the Bible. We'd like to just read from a few verses from 2 Timothy chapter 3. And in 2 Timothy, this was the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. And he spoke here and said that all scripture or the entire Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, is given by inspiration of God. And that means that God breathed out. So God breathed out his word or his message. And then we breathe it or we take it in. And it says that it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, or that word means complete and therefore lacking nothing, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so we see here that the Bible this evening will be our authority on this subject of Antichrist. Well, in terms of a definition of Antichrist, You may know that the word antichrist is of Greek origin. And if you were to look it up in the Bible and see how many times it appears, well, it only appears five times. And we actually read three of those in 1 John chapter 2. So it doesn't appear a lot of times in the Bible. And these all appear in the New Testament. Now, you may also know that the New Testament in the Bible was originally written in the Greek language. And so in the original Greek, the word would have been Antichristos. And as we can see, it's translated faithfully into the English as Antichrist. And so it's made up of two Greek words, anti and Christos. And so the word anti, as we probably are aware of, means to be the opposite or an opponent. And we have the word that we can all relate to as in an antidote, something that counteracts the effects of poison. Or it can also mean instead of or a substitute for and so we have the word anti-climax an event has strikingly less impact than the anticipated event in which it replaces 
And then the word Christos, or Christ, comes from the Hebrew word Messiah, which literally means an anointed one. And so when we put this together, we see that Antichrist is someone or something that is in opposition to Christ, either fighting against Christ as an opponent or being put forward as a substitute or a replacement for Christ. So you may have on your laps a Bible, and Ben read for us from 1 John chapter 2. And what we'd like to do is start here, and what we're going to do is look at three main passages in the Bible to see and understand and identify Antichrist from the Bible. And so we'll work through these passages together. So if you have a Bible, if you would turn up to 1 John 2, if you don't already have that open. And as we look at 1 John chapter 2, what we're going to see here is really the origin of Antichrist. And just as a bit of an introduction uh, before we begin and get into some of the detail, John, who wrote this letter, was one of Jesus' 12 disciples during his ministry here on earth about 2,000 years ago. And after Jesus' ascension into heaven, John then went on and preached the gospel And the gospel is the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And so he preached that to the people around him. And he also wrote what we know as the Gospel of John. That's the fourth book of the New Testament. And then he also went on to write three letters. And we're in that first letter this evening here in chapter 2. And so let's pick up this letter in 1 John 2 and at verse 18. And where John writes to us, Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know it is the last time. And so let's just dig into it a bit and see some of these clues, as it were, or identifying features that John is giving to us about Antichrist. So we'll see here and notice that John says that Antichrist was already in the world in his time. And John wrote his letter back in the first century. So Antichrist is not just a future concept. It was there in the first century. And we have that there highlighted. I'll highlight the the different aspects we're looking at there on the screen. And then we also see that John says that there are plural Antichrists. So there's not just Antichrist as a singular individual but there's a group you could say and it could represent a group of people or even a system then john goes on to say that they had heard that antichrist should come and jesus himself back when he was ministering on earth said to his disciples in matthew 24 verse 24 for there shall arise false christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect, or the very elect refers to those that follow Jesus. And so here, Christ refers also to these false Christs, and so we can see that it is plural and not singular. So we continue on and see what John has to say in verse 19. He says, 
Antichrist or Antichrist, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. And so we can see here very much that Antichrist originated from the true believers of John's day. He says, they went out from us. So they were obviously amongst the true believers at the time. And so this would indicate that Antichrist represents a false religious system that is now in opposition to the truth, the truth of what the Bible teaches. And then just picking up the last two verses of that section, so verses 21 and 22, and that reads, I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. And so we can see from these couple verses that this opponent, as it were, to Christ and the true gospel is therefore associated with both lies and deceit. And so Antichrist teaches a false gospel, we could say. And the main tenet of Antichrist involves a denial that Jesus is the Christ and leads to denial of the father and son relationship that Jesus has with God. And so we see there that at the bottom of the screen. And just to help us to, as it were, summarize from um, our definition of Antichrist, but also from this passage in 1 John 2, we'll just pick up six clues or six identifying factors that we've picked up and just summarize them on the screen together. So the first one, as I said, from the definition, and it also comes out, is bared out there in some of the words we read in 1 John 2, is that Antichrist is one who sets himself up as an opponent to Christ or as a replacement for Christ. The second one is that Antichrist originated in the first century. The third one is that Antichrist is not just a singular individual, but can also refer to a group of people or to a system. The fourth one was that Antichrist was originally part of the true system of religion. We could say that they were part of the first century church or the ecclesia. The fifth one is that Antichrist is involved with lies and false teachings. And the last one we found in this section was that Antichrist teaches a doctrine that contradicts the, two, sorry, the true relationship between God and Jesus. So what we'd like to do now, if you just turn over, if you, you have a Bible with you, to 1 John chapter 4. So just over a couple chapters. And we'd like to do a similar thing that we did with 1st of John 2 and just work through the first three verses in 1st of John chapter 4 to understand again some more identifying features of the Antichrist. And so from 1st John chapter 2 we learned that Antichrist made its appearance in the first century when individuals who were once part of the true believers departed from the teachings of the Bible. 
and they established a new system of religion based on doctrines or based on teachings that deny the true relationship between God as the Father and Jesus Christ as his Son. And so now we pick up what we're going to read from 1 John 4 in verse 1, where John writes again, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And so we see here from verse 1 that the Apostle John encourages believers to put their ideas, put the doctrines, put these concepts, and he calls them here and summarizes it as spirits. He says, put those to the test. That is, don't believe everything you hear, no matter what the source, but rather examine it and compare it to what the Bible says. And like Israel of old, we should expect that there will be false teachers that arise And so we must all be prepared to examine the teachings and the practices against what God has said in the Bible. And so then we go on in verses 2 and 3 of 1st of John. And John writes, Hereby know we the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now, already, it is in the world. And so after telling his readers to examine these false spirits, John now gives the ultimate test. And what is that ultimate test? It's to whether they confess that Jesus came in the flesh or not. If Jesus did come in the flesh and people teach that, they are of God. If they don't, they are part of the Antichrist movement. What we'd like to do is just take a slight diversion because it's very important that we understand the nature of Jesus Christ because this is the singular most important issue in this matter of understanding Antichrist. Because as John spoke about needing to confess, to confess is something is to believe it firmly and without reservation. And Jesus coming in the flesh is the central teaching that delineates between truth and between error. And the phrase in the flesh is used in the New Testament to mean more than simply stating that Jesus had an outward physical body that looked like ours which he inhabited for about 33 years. The word flesh is used extensively in the Bible to represent human nature. That is, flesh in the sense of having fleshly thinking or fleshly lusts. And so John wrote these words because there were people in his day claiming that Jesus was a spirit who only used a body for 33 years and then he discarded that body when he died. And the Apostle John says that this is Antichrist teaching because it separates Jesus from his body and teaches that Jesus did not really come in the flesh, since according to these people, he could exist without that body. But ladies and gentlemen, the truth of the matter is that Jesus was born of a human mother with God 
as his father. The Bible teaches that very, very clearly. And because his mother was human, Jesus inherited a nature just like us. He was tempted to sin. His nature was identical to ours. He was tempted like we are. He had the same promptings, the same enticements, common to all human beings, yet there was a difference. He never gave in to those temptations, and he perfectly lived a sinless life. He never did anything wrong. And when the body of Jesus died, Jesus himself died, and he remained in the grave for three days. After that, he was resurrected, and his body was changed, and he was raised to life and given immortality with a nature now incapable of sin. And this is the hope of all true believers who follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, to have this same transformation. And Antichrist teaching, sorry, Antichrist teaches something opposed to this. A doctrine that says Jesus really didn't have a nature like ours, that it would have been impossible for him to sin because his body was not part of who he really was, but just a temporary shell that he occupied. So coming back to 1 John chapter 4 and verses 1 to 3, and just as we did with 1 John chapter 2, summarizing those clues that we picked out of that section around the Antichrist. And so the first one there on the screen, or clue 7, is that Antichrist will be a popular religious system. And we saw from 1 John 4 that it said, many false prophets are gone out into the world. The next one, which is clue eight, is that the Antichrist system will treat, sorry, teach that Jesus didn't have our nature. And lastly, from that section, which is clue nine, Antichrist had already left the true believers and began their corrupting influences before John wrote his epistles. Antichrist is a false system of religion paralleling the true believers. And so the last section in the Bible that we'd like to have a look at this evening and gather some more clues is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, please turn there with me. We have most of it up on the screen, but I fit on the screen as much as I could without get, getting too small. We're just going to read a few extra verses than what's up on, the, uh, up on the screen. So what we'll do, just by way of introduction, first of all, 2 Thessalonians was the second letter written by the Apostle Paul to the believers at Thessalonica. And Thessalonica is a place that is in what is modern-day Greece. And also just a little bit about the Apostle Paul. Well, he was specifically chosen by God to preach the gospel, as we said, the good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles or the non-Jewish people. So he went out through the then-known world preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And one of the places he went was Thessalonica. And so this second letter he writes to those in Thessalonica. And what we want to do is just read the first 10 verses of 2 Thessalonians 2 together, and then we'll come back and comment and pick up some of those clues together. So reading 2 Thessalonians 2 and at verse 1. 
Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Now you may have noticed a number of things there that relate that we've already seen from First of John 2 and First of John 4, but we'll work through these together. And so the disciples of the first century were already looking for Jesus Christ to return and to gather the believers to himself and to set up the kingdom of God on earth. And the Apostle Paul, when he wrote here, he had to make it very clear to them that Christ's return was not imminent because there had to come a falling away from the truth first. And we saw that there in verse 3. And Paul makes it very apparent that the man of sin, or we would like to put to you the Antichrist system, would be revealed before Jesus Christ returned to gather the believers for judgment and to establish God's kingdom on the earth. And therefore the believers would be present to witness this manifestation of the man of sin power and would not be spared his influences. In fact, believers in the first century had already experienced suffering at the hands of this power. And so we'll recall that John said that Antichrist went out from the true believers. And the man of sin spoken of here in 2 Thessalonians 2 is in the same class of individuals. They fell away, or we could say they apostatized from the true believers and began teaching a false gospel. The connection to Antichrist of John's letters is further strengthened here, especially in 2 Thessalonians 2 and at verse 4, where the man of sin opposes God and exalts himself above God, and as a replacement, sits as God in his temple. And so this man of sin is therefore in every sense opposed to God, and I think we could say by extension, opposed to Jesus Christ as well, and therefore 
this man of sin described here is Antichrist. And so as John said, he is Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. And when John and Paul were writing these back in the first century, the temple in Jerusalem was soon going to be destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. And yet Antichrist, or the man of sin, was about to be revealed, or as it says here in the passage, was already at work and would continue to exist for almost 2,000 years since he wouldn't be destroyed until Christ's return as verse 8 says here on the screen. And so the temple in which the man of sin sits must refer to a self-proclaimed, as we could say, temple of God, not one in Jerusalem, which hasn't existed for, over two, for almost 2,000 years. And so we see then that verse 9 continues to say that this false system is one of deception and lying wonders. False miracles and claims of supernatural power will be a hallmark of the Antichrist. And the claims of truth and power made by this system will be so influential that even the very elect or the true believers will in some cases be deluded. And so there's quite a bit to take in in that passage, but like as we've done, let's try and summarize those points on the screen in these clues that we are looking for about Antichrist. And so the first clue out of this section, or clue 10 that we found, is the man of sin will appear before Christ returns to gather believers to himself. Clue 11, when the man of sin is revealed, there will also be an apostasy or a falling away from the true gospel. Number 12, the man of sin exalts himself over all. The next one, the man of sin claims to be God. The man of sin rules from a pseudo-temple of God. The man of sin will be destroyed by Christ at his coming. And lastly, the man of sin performs signs and wonders that deceive many people. Now what we'd like to do next is take five of these 16 clues that we've discovered in the Bible this evening that identifies the Antichrist and compare them with the claims of the Roman Catholic Church. And we'd like to present this factual evidence not with any intention of upsetting anyone who may be a member of the Roman Catholic Church, but to present the truth of the Bible and the claims of the Roman Catholic Church itself and then to let you examine this evidence for yourself. And so the first one we'd like to look at, we found that the Antichrist is one who sets himself up as an opponent to Christ or as a replacement for Christ. And we found that both in the definition of the word but also in 1 John 2. And the claim of the Roman Catholic Church is that they have a leader who claims to be the vicar of Christ or Christ on earth. And so what we'll have is we'll have a number of quotes from a variety of sources which show the claims of the Catholic Church to be true. So this first one from a publication called The 20 Centuries of Christianity, A Concise History. 
And this quote reads, In the coronation of all popes, the tiara is placed on the candidate's head with the words, Receive the tiara, adorned with three crowns, and know that thou art father of prince and kings, ruler of the world, vicar of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And another one, which this one is from one of the popes himself, Pope Pius XI, it says, Thus the priest, as is said with good reason, is indeed another Christ, for in some way he is himself a continuation of Christ. Moving on to the second one that we'd like to look at. We saw that the Antichrist originated in the first century and is not just an individual but can also refer to a group of people or a system. And we saw that in both 1 John 2 and in 2 Thessalonians 2. And the claim of the Roman Catholic Church is they have an unbroken succession of popes back to Peter in the first century and is a group or system headed by a single individual. And so we have a quote from Pope Eugene IV in The Sources of Catholic Dogma. And it reads, We likewise define the Holy Apostolic See and the Roman Pontiff hold the primacy throughout the entire world and that the Roman Pontiff himself is the successor, sorry, successor of Blessed Peter, the chief of the apostles and the true vicar of Christ and that he is the head of the entire church and the father and teacher of all Christians. And just another quote for this claim, just because it couldn't all fit on one slide. And this one from the Creeds of Christendom, the dogma of papal infallibility involves a question of absolute power. It is the direct antipod or the opposite of the Protestant principle of the absolute supremacy and infallibility of the Holy Scriptures. It establishes a perpetual divine oracle in the Vatican. Every Catholic may hereafter say, I believe, not because Christ or the Bible or the Church, but because the infallible Pope has so declared and commanded. So moving on to the third clue that we'd like to examine. And this one we found was that Antichrist is associated with lying wonders, falsehood and deceit, an apostasy from the true gospel found in the Bible. And we saw that in 1 John 2, in 2 Thessalonians 2, and we also read of that from Matthew 24. And the claim is that the Roman Catholic Church has doctrines borrowed from Greek mythology and paganism and claims many miracles. And so this quote, which is from a dictionary of religious knowledge, it says the Trinity is a corruption borrowed from the heathen religions and engrafted on the Christian faith. Another quote, this one from a couple web, uh, Catholic websites. The last half century and a half have seen numerous accounts of appearances of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Jesus himself is said to speak to a few of the seers. Some of the apparitions, or an apparition is an unusual or unexpected sight, 
have received official approval by the Roman Catholic Church. And just a few more in relation to this. The Catholic miracle, this one from the Hibbert Journal, the Catholic miracles and ecstasies make belief easier for one section of Christianity. But Protestantism, which cuts off miracles of, at the end of the apostolic times, has committed suicide. And lastly, in this regard, from another website called The Catholic or The Cath News, the number of baptized Catholics increased worldwide by 38% in the 22 years to the year 2000, to just over 1 billion people or about 17% of mankind, according to statistics released ahead of the publication of the Statistical Yearbook of the Church. Our fourth clue that we'd like to look at a little bit more is that the Antichrist teaches a concept that contradicts the true relationship between God and Jesus, a doctrine that teaches Jesus didn't have our human nature. And again, we saw that in 1 John 2 and in 1 John 4. And the claim of the Roman Catholic Church is that they espouse the doctrine of the Trinity, which denies the true relationship between God and Jesus and teaches that God, sorry, that Jesus has God's nature. And so a couple quotes, the first one from the Nicene Creed, which is focused around the doctrine of the Trinity. And it says, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. He is God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. And another quote from a publication called The Kingdom of the Cults. Within the unity of the one God, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three share the same nature and attributes. In effect, then, the three persons are the one God. And the last one that we'd like to examine in just a little bit more detail is the clue that we found that the Antichrist exalts himself over all, claims to be God, ruling from a pseudo-temple of God. And we saw that very clearly from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And so the claim of the Roman Catholic Church is that they have a pope who, rule, sorry, who claims rulership over all lands to be God on earth, and that the Vatican is God's throne and temple. And so, from a collection of books which are entitled The Handy Library, from, written by Lucius Ferrius, there's a number of quotes here that we'd like to look at in that handy library. And the first one is, The Pope is of so great dignity and so exalted that he is not mere man, but as it were God and the vicar of God. The second one, Hence the Pope is crowned with a triple crown as King of Heaven and of earth and of the lower regions. The third quote, as to papal authority, the Pope is, as it were, God on earth, sole sovereign of all the faithful of Christ, chief king of kings, having a plentitude of unbroken power, entrusted by the omnipotent God to govern the earthly 
and heavenly kingdoms. And lastly, from that publication, the Pope is of so great authority and power that he is able to modify, declare, and interpret even divine laws. Just a couple other quotes in relation to this one. A couple quotes from Pope Leo XIII himself. But the supreme teacher in the church is the Roman pontiff. Union of minds, therefore, requires together with a perfect accord in one faith, complete submission and obedience of will to the church and to the Roman pontiff as to God himself. In the other quote from Pope Leo XIII, we, that is the Pope, hold upon this earth the place of God Almighty. And ladies and gentlemen, we have examined a sample of just five of those clues that we found from the Bible. And we've provided evidence from various sources to show that the Roman Catholic Church identifies with the Antichrist. And so you may ask, why is the Roman Catholic Church system so popular? It seems that many people gravitate towards falsehood because they don't have a love of the truth. Truth indicates the need for responsibility to something. And so people would often rather believe a lie and shy away from responsibility. God has so designed the Bible that one must earnestly seek for his truth from the Bible to escape the delusion and the lies that are so prevalent around us. Likewise, Jesus, in his time here on the earth, in his ministry, spoke in parables. And a parable is a story with a hidden meaning. He spoke in parables so that those that had ears to hear would search out the meaning and understand those words that he spoke. And as the Apostle John encourages his readers, and we saw tonight, he said to test the spirits, test the teachings, test the doctrines, to ensure they are from God. And so we must do the same as we are doing tonight. Because this is life or death, this is a matter of life or death. And we just read here the words of Jesus Christ in John chapter 17, where he says, and this is life eternal. So to have life eternal is to know the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. It's to understand about God and who God is, who Jesus Christ is, and also to understand the proper relationship between the Father and the Son. Those are the things that are about life eternal. And so, ladies and gentlemen, God invites you to search out the truth for yourself from the Bible, and we would be only too pleased to assist you with a coming to an understanding of those things. And so we'd like to leave you with this final passage, which is the truth of the matter and the hope of the Bible. And just a little context around Luke chapter 1, verses 31 to 33. It was in here that an angel of God is speaking to Mary, Mary who was to become the mother of Jesus. And this angel announcing the conception of of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit 
and also speaking to Mary and explaining what the destiny of Jesus Christ would be. And so let's read together Luke 1, verses 31 to 33. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall rule over the house of Jacob, that's another name for the nation of Israel, over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Ladies and gentlemen, you can also become part of this great hope that the Bible has promised to us and that God has invited us all to. Because the great God of the heavens and the earth has invited each one of us to become part of his family, to live forever in his kingdom that will be established on this earth. And that kingdom will be ruled over by his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will be king of that kingdom. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.